This is the Church Planting Podcast, brought to you by the Broadcast Network. Broadcast exists to support, train and encourage church planters. For more information about who we are or about the training that we offer, please visit our website at www.thebroadcastnetwork.org. Hello and welcome to episode 102 of the Broadcast Church Planting Podcast. We recently had a broadcast with Steve Hurd, where Steve was talking about fighting for early converts in our church plants. And in this episode of the podcast, we're bringing you the recording of that broadcast. You can find the full notes on everything that Steve said at www.thebroadcastnetwork.org slash episode 102. So here is Steve Hurd. So tonight I've been asked to talk to you about fighting for early converts now, it's an interesting uh, title. It's something that I spoke about uh, recently at a gathering of, of church planters um, as part of one of the battles that church planters can face. Uh, and it's something that I've heard mentioned a number of times that there, when you're planting a church, there's always a battle for first converts, early converts. Sometimes I've heard people talk about uh, the battle for first fruits, which first fruits is a biblical term, although it's not uh, particularly used in the context of evangelism and conversion in the scriptures. But it's sometimes called that the idea that um, it really is a fight to see the first Christian converts in your church plant. Um, my uh, premise for tonight is to say it shouldn't necessarily have to be that way. And I want to uh, come up with some ideas and just some encouragements and exhortations to uh, make sure that the fight for converts, uh, we win that fight and we win that fight for converts very early on in our church plants. I want to start off by just um, making some observations and then come up with some principles. So some observations from uh, my experience of being part of church plants, leading church plants, visiting and overseeing quite a number of church plants. Some observations from my experience. I hope these will be helpful. And the first observation is this, is that just because you are planting a new church, it doesn't mean that you are automatically going to see new converts. Just because you're planting a new church doesn't mean that you will see new converts automatically. I think it was Peter Wagner who said that church planting is the best form of evangelism known to man. Now, I'm not sure whether that is the case or not, but what I do know is that just because you're planting a new church somewhere, it doesn't mean that loads of unbelievers will suddenly turn up at your meetings. If you go into church planting with that sort of mentality, thinking that, you know, you just have to get started and that one of the first things you'll have to do is to start organising baptism services, um, then not only will you probably not see early converts, but there's a danger that you may not see many converts later on. There's a danger that evangelism will not become something that is part of the DNA of your church plant and your church. So that's an observation. Don't expect that conversions will just suddenly happen. Second observation is this. 
evangelism itself, in my experience, is something that doesn't come easily or naturally to the vast majority of Christians. And it doesn't come naturally or easily to most leaders in our churches, in churches. Um, the natural gifting or inclinations of our leaders in churches are more likely, in my experience, to make them good pastors, good teachers, but perhaps they're not the best at evangelism or naturally evangelists. Therefore, what that means is that whether you're in a, uh, a church plant or indeed you're in a big church, evangelism, seeing lost people converted, come to Christ, it's always going to be something that you do have to fight for. It's always going to be something that needs stirring up amongst the people uh, on a regular basis. Uh, and without such stirring up, without such exhortations, without such teaching, evangelism can very easily be relegated to the the bottom of a long list of things that churches and church leaders and church plants should be doing. Now, recognizing that, this, this that it doesn't come easily and it needs stirring up, recognizing that, recognizing this, what you might say is a relative weakness uh, in our people, uh, in our church plants, and probably a relative weakness in most of us. Um, recognizing that is a big step forward uh, and committing to do something about it is another big step forward as well in the fight to see early converts. So it's not something, evangelism, that comes naturally or easily to most of us. Third observation would be this that planting a new church without evangelism is not only very possible, but can be easier, an easier way to gather a crowd than trying to reach the lost and to seek early converts. You can gather a crowd without doing evangelism. Once the word that you uh, gets around that you've arrived, that the plant, new plant is happening, you will probably find, whether it's quickly or sooner uh, rather than later, Christians of all different shapes and sizes and stripes and colors will come along. They will check you out. Uh, they will lodge with you for a few weeks or even a few months or whatever. Now, sadly, some of these Christians will be what I would call the walking wounded. Uh, they may have come from other churches. They may not currently be part of another church, uh, but many will have been hurt uh, in some way by, by church life. This particularly seems to be the case for us here in the north of the UK. It may be different in your context. Um, and many may even have more long-term issues of uh, life issues, spiritual health issues um, that uh, need dealing with. Now, don't get me wrong. Jesus loves uh, such people. He loves all such people. Uh, and such people need caring for. Uh, they need looking after. They need embracing into God's family, the church. But if you're planting out a church with a small team, that might not be your role in the early days of planting. 
your church plant may not be the best place for some people, especially if you want to keep your eyes on seeking the lost and fighting for early converts. I often talk about a church plant being seen as uh, an emergency first aid post just behind the front line. A church plant is not a base camp hospital where the long-term and seriously wounded are nursed. Our job in church planting is to be on the front line, advancing the kingdom by reaching the lost. And if people who come and join us, Christians who come and join our plants are up for that, that's where they're at, then that that's great. But it may well be that you have to have some difficult conversations and make some hard decisions. It's not going to be the case that it's right for everybody who comes along to your church plant should stay a part of your church plant. There's been a number of occasions when I've had to have not so easy conversations at time and suggest uh, to some people that it might be best for them to be part of a bigger church where uh, discipleship issues, spiritual health issues, serious long-term life issues can be dealt with uh, better and more uh, readily available help is there for them. So you can gather sizable numbers from the ranks of the already Christians, uh, from the church hoppers, from the curious, and from those who have been wounded in church life or by life itself. But we've got to be so careful in church planting that we're not just shuffling around the deck chairs on the Titanic. Um, that will tie you up for years. If we're going to fight for the lost and be on the front line of seeing the lost saved for Jesus Christ, then we have to make sure that we keep our decks as clear as we possibly can. We have to keep fighting to keep reaching the lost uh, a priority uh, in our lives and in the lives of our churches and church plants. I'm sure there'll be some questions that will come in about, about that one, because it's not always difficult either to talk about uh, these things or indeed to talk to people in your church plants about these things. Fourth observation is this, and this should be very clear, that we, we have an enemy, the devil. The scripture makes that very clear. And it's a fact that the fact that you are planting a new church means that uh, the devil um, will do everything he possibly can to disillusion you as quickly as he can and do everything that he possibly can to minimize the risk you are to him by getting you focused on anything and everything that is not about searching the lost. If he can distract you in any way from seeking the lost, from fighting for new converts, he will do that. And we have to be aware of that. Jesus said the gates of hell will not stand against you, but that presumes that you are actually going out and advancing against the gates. If Satan can keep you feeling as if you're on the defensive, that you're not ready yet to, to seek the lost, that you have a team to look after, that you have practical issues to deal with, or you have pastoral issues from people who come to your church plant. If that keeps you 
within the camp, so to speak, rather than going out seeking the lost, then the devil is succeeding in minimizing the impact that you're going to have. And then fifth and final um, uh, comment for the time being, observation, is that this, that there is nothing, nothing more encouraging, more exciting, more wonderful than to see when someone who was lost is converted, when we see someone who was not a Christian become a Christian, someone who bows the knee to Christ and is added to the people of God and becomes part of your church or your church plant. That is true, I believe, in any church, whatever the size or church plant. It is true for us as individuals that it is so encouraging and wonderful when we're involved in the the process of someone coming to faith in Christ. And it's uh, true in our churches and church plants. Um, just in the last six months or so in the midweek small group, which we call life group in, in our church in the ark, um, in one of the groups that uh, my wife, Ruth and I uh, lead, we've seen a, a young uh, lady, a young mum who was invited on an alpha course by a member of our group. Uh, she loved it. Uh, and after uh, doing the course, so I think it was halfway through the course, she made a commitment to follow Christ. Uh, she was wonderfully converted. She um, stayed on in the group that was running Alpha, became part of our life group. And it's actually really changed the sort of temperature and the atmosphere in our life group to have a new Christian in our midst. So it's true, whether it's a a life group in a big church, and it's particularly true in a church plant as well. When we first started the Ark Church in Huddersfield in 2010, even before uh, our first public uh, worship meetings, uh, we ran a mission in the town, including an Alpha course. And uh, by about halfway through the Alpha course, we'd seen two uh, people uh, give their lives to Christ. And it was a tremendous uh, encouragement and blessing to the church plant. So it's really important that uh, uh, my observation would be that we're on the front foot in seeking the lost, in fighting for early converts. It's the best encouragement ever in a church plant. So those are my observations. I'm sure there's lots of things that people would like to come back on there. But let me just make um four points about how we can keep evangelism a priority and how we can do the best to win the battle to see conversions early, early in our church plants. How can we actually do that? Four uh, quick points just to uh, help you with this. And the first one would be this, that we must be prayerful. We must pray. Praying for the lost, praying for people who don't yet know Christ. That is not uh, a precursor for evangelism. It is evangelism. It's not the whole of evangelism, but praying for lost people is evangelism. It's God who saves people, not us. We all know that. He's the one. God is the one who softens people's hearts. He's the one who opens their eyes so that they can see the truth of the gospel message that we want to bring to them. If I'm ever uh, visiting the church or if I want to get a a feel for the priorities 
and the temperature within a church or a church plant, then I would always try to get along to the church prayer meeting. You hear what is really in a, a person's heart when they pray, when you hear them pray. And you get an insight into the life of a church, the heart of a church, when you hear the church at prayer. As we pray together for the lost, so God gives us his heart for the lost. And God gives us the boldness and the courage we need to go out and search for the lost and to speak to the lost. And when we have that, when we have God's heart and God's boldness, that will propel us into divine encounters, into God's circumstances that he gives us. It will propel us into fruitful conversations with unbelievers. And ultimately, it will propel us into sharing the gospel with people. And because the gospel is the power of God for the salvation of everyone who believes, it will lead us praying for people will lead us into seeing conversions in our church in winning the battle for new converts. So if you want reaching the lost to be a priority in your church plant, make sure that at every prayer meeting you're praying for the lost. And if you are involved in leadership in any way in that church plant, you need to lead into this and you need to be praying in your own private private prayer times, but also in the corporate church, uh, church meetings. You need to be praying for people who you know that are lost and are getting to know in your own personal prayer times and also in the corporate prayer meetings. You need to lead people into this. Your people, if you're involved in leadership, need to hear you calling out to God by name for people that you are building friendships with. And praying for the lost, this is something that we just need to keep doing, keep doing, and keep and keep and keep doing. I can't emphasize this enough. We need to keep calling out to God in prayer for breakthrough, that God will break through in the lives of the individuals that we are praying for. This is something we need to keep doing. There are lots of ways to, to just to uh, encourage people in this. One of the ways that we are just this, uh, this month, in fact, launching within the church and some other churches in the town, um, we have some little uh, prayer cards. I don't know if you can see these on the screen. Um, they're called Five a Day. And they're just little sort of business card sides where uh, size where we're encouraging people to write down the names of five people who don't yet know Christ and to commit to pray for them each day, uh, five a day. And in that way, we're, we're, we're praying for people to come into the kingdom. So remember this. I can't remember who quite said this, but Satan is not troubled by our plans, but he trembles at our prayers. So be prayerful. Pray for converts. Second thing, uh, be personal, be personal. Don't be exhorting uh, the people in your team, in your church, in your church plan. Don't be exhorting them to do something that you're not doing yourself. I, I've touched on this a little bit, but the question is this. Who are you praying for? Who are you spending time with? What are the names of your neighbours and your work colleagues? 
and when was the last time you had them in your home and when was the last time you were around their home or you went out to do something with them what stories have you got about your own personal evangelism and this is such a real challenge for all of us because as i said earlier um, evangelism doesn't come naturally uh, to most of us uh, and nor does it come naturally to leaders um, who have so many other responsibilities and so many calls on their time but hey folks there really is no excuse spending time with and building relationships with unchurched people has got to be a priority for any church plant and particularly those in leadership. And you will at some point get to that point where you're running your first social event, your first quiz night or bingo evening or your first alpha course, whatever it is, you've got to have some people that you can invite to that and that you can bring along. So firstly, be prayerful. Secondly, be personal. Thirdly, be intentional. Be intentional about evangelism and about seeking early converts. Ed Stetzer, who uh, is a planter and has written some great books on church planting, Ed Stetzer says, without intentionality, evangelism remains undone. Without intentionality, intentionality, sorry, evangelism remains undone. In other words, you've got to be intentional about it. You've got to keep it there in your own um, intentions and in the intentions of the church plant and the church. So when we uh, moved to Huddersfield uh, to plant the church, the Ark Church here, our vision statement was to plant a church that plants other churches by reaching out to the lost and reaching out to the poor and needy. In other words, we were right up front about how we were going to plant this church. We were going to plant the church by reaching out to the lost. Um, and our strategy uh, that we developed alongside that um, are not only firm plans, but actually had some numeric targets. And I know this is a difficult area. So, for instance, on the church planting issue, we said we wanted to be a church that plants other churches and we wanted to be intentional about that. So we actually put it in our strategy that we wanted within two years of starting in Huddersfield, we wanted to have something on the ground in Halifax. And sure enough, God was so faithful to that and gave us people commuting from Halifax to Huddersfield to worship with us. And Ruth and I were able to to, to start a, a midweek group, a life group in Halifax, which is now a thriving church plant, uh, gathering about 50 to 60 on a Sunday, uh, going independent uh, later on this year. Um, so that's really fantastic. On evangelism, we were specific about uh, wanting to see new conversions. We Now, you know, we put some... Actually, we put some percentage targets in there, some numbers in there. We didn't hit them, but we did see uh, early converts. And I know there's a nervousness about numbers. Uh, you hear people say that it's not about numbers and God's not into numbers. Incidentally, I've always wondered when I hear people say that, how come there's a book in the Bible called Numbers if God's not interested. But anyway, that's an aside. Um, as I was saying, we were quite specific and intentional about evangelism and conversion, seeking conversions. 
and particularly about having new Christians and not yet Christians in our meeting. And what we did by being intentional about it and talking about it up front, we showed people looking to come in and join the, the church plant as Christians that this is really what we were going to be like that it wasn't a case of then coming in and, f- and joining the church and, and it was about this or that. They were v- we were very clear and upfront with people joining us that our intention was to seek the lost and to believe God for new Christians. So, for instance, um, the first thing that we did, as I said, was to uh, run a mission in the town and to run a, a, an alpha course. That was before we ever uh, met on a, on a Sunday for any worship meetings at all. And there was a real emphasis on finding lost people. Now, we did a heck of a lot of leafleting, which I know is not always popular. Um, It's said that you only get one response of some kind for every 1,000 leaflets or cold calls that you would do. Um, In my thinking, I was thinking, well, if we print and distribute 30,000 leaflets, that will give us 30 responses. And I thought that that would be great. In actual fact... I think we distributed in the case in the uh, in about a week about uh, twenty three thousand leaflets and um, we had a hundred people, including fifty guests, at our Alpha launch event. Uh, some of them were inquisitive Christians, but there were a lot of unbelievers there. And from that first Alpha launch and that intentionality, we saw uh, fresh converts. We actually didn't uh, allow the gathering church plant team to meet. Uh, in their homes as life groups until after the Alpha course, because when we launched our midweek groups, we wanted them to have in them new Christians or not yet Christians. And these were all ways that we expressed our intentionality, intentionality, can't say it, intentionality of going for conversions, early converts and evangelism. And however you do it, I would just encourage you and emphasize the need to have something like a plan, an evangelistic strategy and program. And do the people in your church plan know what and when to invite people along to? What is the next big event? What are you working towards? It's so important to communicate and to plan. And then the last thing to say would be that, um, so we talked about um, being personal, being prayerful, uh, being intentional. And the last thing is just to be a trainer or a facilitator. Biblical evangelism is a process, not an event. Uh, conversion is an event, uh, and that's what we pray for and we hope for. But evangelism is a process whereby people get closer to people. Christians get closer to non-Christians. And in that way, because I am in Christ and Christ is in me, people get closer to Jesus. We need to encourage and even train people in that process of being able to speak to people about what Christ means for them. So people need to be able to share their story. Often in our life groups, especially in the early days, every week, in fact, we would have someone who would share their story, how they became a Christian and give feedback and information on them. It's possible, in fact, very, very real to help and encourage people to get better and better and better at sharing their story. We need to be able to encourage people and train people in how to share the gospel, how to share it simply and effectively. 
And that, is, again, is something that in the early days of the church plan, we trained people in how to share the gospel. And we need to give people uh, some encouragement and some help about how they might approach uh, answering some of the big questions uh, that people will ask them about pain and suffering, other religions and so on and so forth. So be someone who helps and encourages, who trains and just increases people's confidence uh, in this process of evangelism, of evangelizing their friends. First, you know, when you moved from York to Huddersfield, yes. um, how was it different for you, actually? How, how was it different in, in early stages of, of reaching the lost? Was your strategy different? And actually, the, the outworking was that. How, how was that? Yes, um, actually, Ivado, it, it was very different. Um, when we moved uh, from Bedford to York, the the circumstances of planting the church were uh, not so easy. In some ways, there were more complications. We actually went uh, to join a, a, a group of people that had come out of another church and were looking to become part of the New Frontiers family of churches. And the perceived wisdom was, well, uh, there is potential for a New Frontiers church here, but um, the people needed leadership and uh, we were encouraged. And in fact, God spoke to us about going and leading them. Um, but uh, things were, were complicated because we were, we were building on a foundation that we didn't, uh, we hadn't laid ourselves. So uh, the first six months or so were quite difficult really. And um, we, we just about had to almost close down the group, the church, which is what they called, called themselves, and replant it out and start again. And also we were given uh, a body of people, uh, about 30 or so, uh, not all of whom made it actually in the journey along the church plant at all by any means. And within that group of people, uh, as I was saying earlier, there were a number of people uh, who had particular life issues or spiritual health issues. So we were actually um, taken up in the early months of church planting, the early years, in fact, in many ways, with actually pastoring. Uh, and it really was a battle to find the energy, the time, the resource to fight for new converts. Um, planting out a church with uh, a group of people that have come out of another church having been hurt um, is not uh, the best way to do it, but it's sometimes the way that we do have to do it. However, when I was in York, I kept saying to God, I'd love to do this again, but start with a blank piece of paper. And in fact, that's what we did in Huddersfield. So there was a big difference. There was nothing on the ground. There were no people that we were going with. There was Well, there was one couple uh, who came from a, a New Frontiers church uh, many years ago. One couple, that's all. Um, and uh, there was nothing else. So it was a blank sheet of paper. In many ways, it was quite daunting because I realized that there would be no excuse uh, in terms of um, the success or otherwise of the church plant. But in many ways, it was very exciting and liberating. We were able to uh, set out to plant the church um, uh, with just seeking God and God's direction. And therefore, we were able to do what I was saying and the examples I've given, being very intentional 
uh, about evangelism. So, as I said, we before we had our first public meeting um, on a Sunday, uh, or indeed any public prayer meeting at all, we had already run a mission in the town. We had already run a, a, um, an Alpha launch night and an Alpha course and doing town centre evangelism because we really wanted uh, to reach out to the lost. And of course, because none of us had any friends in the town, <laughs> we had to get out on the streets, if you like, and, and, and find some. Um, and I realised that that's not something that is necessarily open to everybody as an option for church planting. Um, a better option in some instances may be to go and live in a place and just be intentional about reaching out to neighbours, work colleagues, etc. But the point was we were able to be very intentional about evangelism and fighting for early converts. So in, in that way, definitely, there was quite a big difference. Can we just go back to what you said about uh, people joining from other churches and, and yes. you know, normally people who are hurt by situation or church, church leader even, you know, they, yes. they, they often join something new. Yes. Um, could you have some advice on what kind of issues exactly you mean and, and how, how did you go about encouraging, gently encouraging those people into something new? You said you had to have conversations with those people. And how did you do it without actually them feeling rejected and, and hurt again by church? How, how yes. did that yes. go well or not so well? Yes. Um, it's a good question. And the, the, there's a real, um, a lot of things that I could think about and remember and talk about there. But but let me try and, and, and summarise. Certainly, in the north of the UK, where we are, there's a real history of um, evangelical, uh, even charismatic churches, but being quite legalistic. Um, and one of the uh, prime um, things that you, you should find in any New Frontiers church, and I certainly would want to find, would be that the grace of God and God's grace towards us and this has been the real battlefield really um so going back um 20 30 years ago um there were many many uh, strong evangelical churches in the north uh, of the uk but many had quite a legalistic edge to them and we found many people who have come in some of them have stayed uh, in the church plant, some of them have moved on and hopefully been helped, um, who have come in and been hurt by what I would summarize as legalistic, perhaps heavy shepherding, if you've come across that phrase, um, of just, you know, people coming in and uh, discovering grace. Um, in one particular example, I remember uh, a, a gentleman who had been a, a senior leader in a in a large church and just in a small prayer meeting that we had one night um, his uh, comment was that he felt for the first time he discovered grace he discovered the grace of God and that would be the context in, in which I'm thinking of 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 many things some people also come to uh, will come to the church plant because perhaps they feel that they've been overlooked in areas of leadership. 
perhaps because they feel that um, the church uh, that they've been a part of is is being going in a different way theologically than they think is the right way. So there are a host of different reasons. Sadly, I must say as well that there are uh, some Christians, and, and this is my experience, but others as well, people who seem to hop from one church to another and find it extremely difficult to settle and to, if you like, submit uh, to the authority of church leadership, even when that church leadership is operating in grace. So it is, I'm afraid, a sad fact of life that that, that these uh, things happen. How we help some people, my, uh, my biggest thing would be to be very clear and upfront about what are what your vision is as a church and what your values are and if your primary value is grace then preach grace speak grace and act graciously at all times speak the truth but speak the truth in love and in grace uh, make it very clear that if people are coming in we will love you uh, but we want to love you as we move forward in mission. Um, that was the point I was making uh, earlier. Uh, and also um, encourage people. Um, sometimes have found that actually people have not just been hurt by church. Uh, sometimes that they have lost something of their spiritual fervor and their walk with God, the spiritual disciplines of reading the word, uh, being filled with the Holy Spirit can be non-existent even in the lives of some Christians who've been Christians for, for many years and come across as quite mature. So a strong encouragement to get into the word of God, to be filled with the spirit of God and to discover God's grace. Um, at times, uh, there have been issues where we've been involved in quite deep uh, level of prayer ministry uh, with some people. Sadly, um, heavy leadership, and we see this in the scriptures, where heavy leadership uh, can have a spiritual dimension to it. And we shouldn't overlook the fact that as well as good teaching, uh, people may need um, prayer ministry for some of the things that they've encountered, even if they're not aware of those things themselves. I hope that's helpful. Yeah, brilliant. Yeah. How, how would that differ from actually dealing with people with new converts who would come to church with with really big issues because we know that especially probably in some areas more than others the the people would join us who are not christians that have sure. really quite different backgrounds sure. yes i think that is a uh, it is different um in some ways i would like to say personally uh, i find it easier uh in that it's all new to someone um, they've not really been subject to uh, either legalistic church leadership or indeed legalistic preaching that has had an effect on them that you have to release them from. They're, they're not, they haven't had that. So it's all new to them. And I genuinely find, find that if, if people are genuinely and soundly converted to Christ and they are filled with the Holy Spirit, then actually um, uh, addressing the life issues that they've encountered outside of Christ um, can be relatively easily. 
easy. I think sometimes the problem is that in their journey to Christ, we sometimes start to try and disciple people before they've been properly converted. Sometimes we we start to deal with some of the life issues before they've surrendered their life to Christ. If someone has not yet completely surrendered their life to Christ or understood what it means to be a Christian, then it's always going to be difficult to see them set free from some of the issues in life that they've encountered. But um, when people are genuinely converted, and sometimes we have to be very uh, clear about that in terms of how we lead someone to Christ. Becoming a Christian is not just waving your hand in a meeting or walking to the front. Um, That needs careful uh, leadership and discipleship to make sure that a person has properly come to Christ before we move into trying to set them free from some of the life issues. Brilliant. That was my next question, actually, talking right. about when start making disciples. Sorry, could you say that again, Vada? Sorry. Uh, when do you start making disciples? Is it is it before people become Christians? When you meet them, or you know, sometimes you say. Will people say you start making disciples when they're in church? Is that is that true though? Do you start making disciples when you meet people, when you start inputting in their life, or is it once they're converted? Good question. Um, I think it depends really on what we mean by some of the words that we're using here. Um, if we are talking about a disciple as being someone who follows Jesus, then strictly speaking, I would say they become a disciple when they get converted and they become a follower of Jesus. However, um, as I think I said earlier, the process of becoming a Christian is a long one and starts many steps back from that that moment, that fact of conversion. So uh, in my teaching, I often use the concept of the Engel scale. And I don't know if you or your listeners have come across that, whereby it's a scale if naught on that scale is the, is the point at which uh, someone Uh, confesses their sins and repents and becomes a Christian, uh, minus 10 would be miles away from God. Um, Plus 10 would be virtually on the doorstep of heaven, fully sanctified, uh, whatever. So it's a scale. And evangelism is moving people from that minus 10, where they've got no concept of God and no contact with Christianity, and indeed are very, very hostile, moving them successfully to that point of conversion and successful evangelism is moving someone from say that point of being minus 10 minus 9 up to minus 6 where they are not so critical or um, uh, antagonistic towards Christianity as they were before that is successful evangelism so in other words people are um, getting to know the claims of Jesus and understanding Christian teaching before they are converted. They must do that. They have to know and understand the basics of the gospel in order to be a Christian. So in that sense, yes, discipleship starts starts earlier uh, than that. Yeah. I think um, I'm very passionate about um, uh, that moment of conversion when someone's at minus one is actually making sure that they go through that that moment they're they're properly saved as far as yeah. we're able to do that god it's god that saves i know before we start to actually disciple them onwards and i think the whole concept of leading someone to christ is something that we have to be uh, very aware of and uh, think about 
much more. Um, sometimes um, the conversion experience can be reduced to putting your hand up in a meeting or walking to the front and praying a, a, a vague prayer. People need to have a good understanding of what it is that uh, that yeah. they're doing and the claims that Jesus makes on their lives. Yeah, brilliant. Yeah. Steve, could you tell us a little bit when you start a church plan, so when you gather the first people, uh, how do you train them to be more evangelistic? How, how do you, um, you, you said, obviously, personal example is really important. I think your prayer life is really important. But how do you, are there some steps that you go through to, to make them more evangelistic, more intentional about how, how to live their lives? Um, yes, uh, there are. Um, the the difficulty is in the business of life and, and everything else is in trying to systematically do that with all the members of your church plant team, um, as well as all the other things that you're called to do. Um, but I, I have uh, my own material that I've accumulated over the years and drawn from a lot of sources. Uh, one source that I'm sure they wouldn't mind me mentioning uh, publicly. For many years, I've used a lot of the material from Willow Creek Church in the United States and their resources, uh, book and resources uh, called Becoming a Contagious Christian, which is a bit of a mouthful, but I find the resources very, very helpful indeed. And starting with the whole, uh, I think the, the whole fact of um, our responsibility when it comes to evangelism. Um, yes, it is God that saves, but he chooses to use us in that wonderful process of conversion. And that's such a joy. But often we can not appreciate the fact that he wants to use us. Um, God saves, so why doesn't he get on with it? Well, he wants to get on with it through us. In 2 Corinthians 5, Paul talks about us being ambassadors for Christ. We represent Christ uh, to people. And I think the starting point for any training, if that's the right word for it on that, is, is to get people to understand that and embrace that and understand the importance of that and the eternal consequences of that. There really is a responsibility. When Paul's writing to the church in Rome in, in the first chapter of um, the book of Romans, he talks about uh, the obligation that he feels to the Greeks and Gentiles. Um, and uh, in the uh, in the Greek, it's really best translated as being in debt to people because he's carrying this responsibility. He's carrying the gospel message and he wants to discharge that. And he feels it as a burden, as a debt. And until he discharges that responsibility, he, he feels weighed down by it. Now, we don't like to talk very much about being in debt and being a burden and responsibility. They're quite, can be seen as, as heavy legalistic words. I understand that. But I think sometimes we've gone too far the other way. And the beginning point for training people, I think, in this is just to get people to appreciate the biblical basis of my relationship with God when it comes to the uh, evangelization of of the world um you know god has been so gracious he is delaying uh the end point when jesus comes again because he loves he loves lost people and he wants as many as possible uh, to come into the kingdom so i think the starting point is not so much techniques it's not not so much come on invite people to this it, it's actually opening people's eyes to the biblical um picture of evangelization but then after that I think there are some 
just helpful ways of encouraging people, especially in a church plant. If people have moved into a new place, you're going to be asked by the by the person on the checkout at the supermarket or the person who serves you um, uh, your food in a restaurant or, or, or the person in the garage who, where you pay for your petrol or the mum on the school gates. You're going to get asked, so why have you moved to Munich or Huddersfield? And it's about being bold enough, courageous enough to say, well, the reason I moved is is to start a new church or to be part of a new church. It really is uh, taking every single opportunity to um, say who we are and what our passions are and our, and our love for Christ in every single conversation. And people need help and encouragement with that. And there are some interesting, you know, just some little phrases and techniques and, and that you can use to turn an everyday ordinary conversation into something that could become a spiritual conversation. And then I always say, following on from that, every Christian should be able to give their testimony. And I don't mean standing up in front of a group of people and delivering a, a, a testimony. Really, I mean being able to tell someone in, a, in an, an everyday situation their story, why they are a Christian. And one of the things I do is in, in training uh, exercises. I, I, I set people the task of being able to do that in two or three minutes. Um, because if a conversation is a dialogue between two people, and uh, if one person speaks for longer than two or three minutes, it's not a conversation anymore. It's a preach. And we shouldn't be preaching to people, but we do want to share Christ with people. So it's just encouraging people that they have got a story to tell. And most Christians need to be encouraged that they have got a story to tell. When it comes to our stories and testimonies, people tend to think of, you know, the, the, the sort of I was saved from the gutter. I was into sex, drugs and rock and roll. Those are the testimonies. Um, but those sorts of testimonies can be very powerful for people who are into that sort of stuff. But most people live very ordinary lives, actually. And uh, they would discard such a testimony because they would say, well, I'm not like that. I'm a good person. So it doesn't mean anything to me. Um most people who are ordinary need to hear Christian uh, Christian stories from so-called ordinary Christians. Um, this is how I grew up in a Christian family. I've never known a time when I didn't know God as my saviour. Or as a teenager, I, I rebelled, I moved away, but God brought me back and, and this happened and whatever. Every single Christian has got a story. People just need to be encouraged to be able to vocalise that story and have confidence. And then every Christian needs to be able to give a simple and short explanation of the death of Christ and how you can become a Christian. And um, I train people in that as well, to be able to to deliver the gospel message. Again, in the context of a conversation, within about three minutes, you can communicate the basic facts of the cross and the gospel so that people have heard it. They say on average that uh, people need to hear the gospel seven times to become uh, a Christian. Now, I had to hear it 77 times. I was a very hard nut to crack. Uh, I was 34 before I became a Christian. But what that means is, is that some people must hear it once and, the, and they, they are saved. Um, and that's perfectly viable and perfectly possible because the gospel is the power of God. Uh, and when we share the gospel, the power of God is released. Uh, and the more we share it, the more people we will see converted to Christ. So, People just need to be encouraged in being able to share a simple message of, of the gospel. So those are the things I will be looking to train people in. That's really brilliant. That's very, very helpful. 
Can you just tell us a little bit about your own schedule in the early days of, of, of church planting? How did you structure your time to prioritise evangelism? In your yeah, I, yes, um, I'll be honest, it was a struggle and it was a battle, which is why the title Fighting for Early Converts is, is, uh, is really important uh, to me. Um, we did everything that we could to uh, make contact with our neighbours and those in, in the proximity. Uh, and we did that in several ways with inviting around for meals. So using the, the festivals of Christmas and Easter and this sort of thing. Um, because I was working um, full time uh, for the church, I was very um, privileged in that, in that basis. We had the funding uh, so that I was in, in effect in full-time ministry, even though we were planting the church, which is not uh, very often the case for people. I understand that. But actually that made it more difficult in a way because I didn't have a natural outlet uh, for personal evangelism through the workplace. And I, and, and I think that that's a really important one to help people to to understand that, that they are a minister for Christ where, where they work. Um, but what I did do was throw myself into any opportunity either to, to, to make friends myself or to become the friends of other people in the church plan. One of the best things that we can do is to introduce our non-Christian friends to our Christian friends. The more Christians that our non-Christian friends get to know, the less likely they are able to say that, oh, well, that person's just a bit strange or, or they're lovely or whatever. Um, so I threw myself into any opportunity to meet with other friends. And then we did a lot of what you might call called evangelism, but I led the way in that. Um, I was on the streets a lot and made some friends with people on the streets. Um, so, and a lot of prayer as well. Um, certainly in the early days of the church plant with not many people around and not many pressing pastoral problems, it was great to be able to study, uh, to to pray, uh, and then to just to get out and about and take any opportunity that I could to, to meet people. Yeah, brilliant. I know that you said that uh, you normally um, do the groups in a later stage, but actually once you, you do kind of a public, public meeting. Yes. And yeah. how does actually in either way, whether you do uh, meetings in a house and then public public meeting or the other way around, does the approach to evangelism change, do you think? Or, or does it does it stay pretty much the same? Um, I think that, you know, each church plant is, is, is planted out in different circumstances in different ways. Many church plants are actually what I would call a strawberry plant from a mother church. So the Halifax church plant is about six, seven miles from us, and we are the mother church to that church plant. And we've been able to help them and support them and send people over, et cetera, et cetera. When we moved from York to Huddersfield, that wasn't the case. We were, if you like, parachuted in. Uh, I gathered a team from all over the nation, in actual fact, and we were dropped in almost behind en en enemy lines. So how we did things differed quite, quite uh, naturally. I think that um, I wouldn't say that one way is necessarily the way. It does depend on the circumstances. And also it does depend on um, the, the, the character and the gifting of the people involved and particularly the leaders uh, involved. Uh, you may have gathered that I probably have a strong uh, evangelism gift um, uh, and that's determined quite a few things in, in the actual church plant. The, the reason to do it that way around was not to have midweek groups in homes before 
we went public was that when we launched the midweek groups in homes, we were desperate to have in those groups new Christians yeah. or not yet Christians. Because when you have a new Christian or a not yet Christian in your life group, your midweek group, it changes <laughs> that group. <laughs> it, it, it is very difficult to be insular and and Christian-like, um, so to speak, if you understand what I mean, when you've got someone there who's interested in the gospel. It changes the nature of that particular group. And we were very keen to try and have that right from the start in our in our midweek groups, because otherwise the midweek groups can take on a, a sort of overly insular uh, attitude, which is then difficult to break into. Yeah. How would you break it? Um, I think um, encouragement, teaching, uh, exhortation. Um, I really think what I was speaking about earlier, it is keep um, speaking about God's plan of salvation. God's plan of salvation is to use us in that. And although we might wish that he would do it some other way, that he would appear to people um, and just, you know, um, people would say, yes, I believe that in his wisdom, God has decided to use us in that. And I think it really is a case of hammering that point home, home with with, with people. Um, so often I am involved with uh, churches, uh, church groups, maybe church plants that have got a little bit stuck. And my natural inclination would be to start with that, with passages like Romans 1, with uh, 2 Corinthians 5 into 6, where Paul talks about uh, being an ambassador for Christ. And, and what does it mean to be an ambassador? Uh, it means to be, you know, in our case, God's representative to a foreign nation. Uh, we are seated in heaven, in the heavenly realms, as Paul tells us in Ephesians 1, but we're sent out on mission here in earth uh, to another nation to be God's representative. And he gives us a message. Mm -hmm. 2 Corinthians 5 makes it very clear. We have a very simple message. Be reconciled to God. And it really is just encouraging people to see that that is so important. We don't rule ourselves out of the mission we don't get fed up with the mission we don't get scared about the mission christ is with us and uh, just to keep uh, re-emphasizing uh, that each and every one of us <clears throat> excuse me whatever style of evangelism we may have which comes naturally to us we can all be involved in this we can all be involved in uh, searching for the lost brilliant steve thank you so so much could you just to just finish off, you, you mentioned becoming a contagious Christian on one of um, one of the resources that, that, that you would use. On top of your head, can you give us one or two more resources that would be helpful in this, this topic? Uh, yes, very much so. Um, I think in terms of books that I would read and recommend to church planters, I think I mentioned uh, the name Ed Stetzer. Uh, so, I, in fact, I have his book here. Um this is almost my my second Bible, if you understand. Uh, it's called Planting Missional Churches, and it's been reissued uh, several times, but even the original volume is very good. Planting Missional Churches by Ed Stetzer. Um, it's, uh, he's American. Some of it is in the American context. Depending upon your context, you have to extract the principles from that. But I found that uh, very, very good. Um, 
Also, uh, David Stroud's book. David is a, a, a friend of mine, uh, wrote a book, um, uh, planting, uh, uh, planting Churches, Changing Communities. Uh, David Stroud, uh, very, very good as well. In terms of training uh, materials, um, there's a lot of material out there. Um, but actually doing your own Bible studies and looking at, uh, you know, the, how Jesus did it. Jesus was, Jesus was the master evangelist. And sometimes I think that some of the books that we can read and some of the materials can be, I don't know, just switch people off. We really need to get into the scriptures. Everything is in the, in the Bible. If you look at the way Jesus evangelized the Samaritan woman in uh, John chapter four, absolutely textbook exercise on words of knowledge on 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 speaking to the woman with grace i mean that's all we need or the way that the uh, the man born blind in john chapter 9 was evangelized by jesus as well um i've mentioned the willow creek stuff so i use that but i think after that read the scriptures um people say that if you turn over a page in the new testament in the gospels you'll see uh, Jesus um, healing someone, well, you'll also see him reaching out to the lost. My favorite chapter yeah. in the whole of the Bible, Luke chapter 15, uh, the three stories about um, the lost sheep, the lost coin and the lost son. Uh, that tells you God's heart for the lost, an all out search for something so precious and an amazing celebration when that that was lost is found. Read the scriptures. Well, thank you for listening. We hope you enjoyed this episode. And just a reminder, you can find the full notes on everything that Steve said at www.thebroadcastnetwork.org slash episode 102. See you next time.